0: John chapter 5, beginning of verse 2. It says, Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath, so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They asked him, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Today is really just a simple thought. We've kind of spent the last few weeks in a deep dive today we're just coming up for air. Here it is. When God tells you to do something, do it. When God tells you to stop doing something, stop doing it. It's it's like that simple. Because when he tells you to do something with the word that he gives you, there is the grace, the strength to enable you to actually do it. And when he tells you to stop doing something, there is the same grace, there is the same enablement that will prohibit you from doing the thing that he says stop doing. But we just have to listen and we have to lean on him. There comes this opportunity for us to just obey God. As we find ourselves in his word, as we find ourselves in his presence, we just have to have a desire to obey God. Now, since we're all here and we're going to be here for a few minutes, it's probably a good idea if we just at least wander through this text. I mean, that's all we're going to get out of it today. That right there. If God says, do something, do something. If he says, stop doing something, stop doing something, we can walk out right now. But let's have a little fun with this one, do you mind? All right, so let's look at it first from the perspective of Jesus. I think it's fascinating that Jesus is wandering around in a place where really he doesn't need to be. And this is a place where the invalids would stay around and there was this pool and the idea was when the pool would get stirred up, it was being stirred up because an angel had come into the pool and stirred it up because God was bringing healing to people. So when they saw the water start moving, whoever was the first to get in, that was the person who would be healed. So they would all stack around there. Well, here's the thing, Jesus didn't need to be healed. He wasn't there to get healing. Jesus wasn't there to strike up a crowd because as soon as he did something amazing, he just withdrew from the crowd. So we don't see him there for fame. We don't see him there to receive something that he didn't already have. So why is Jesus there? The same reason you and I should go places that stir up the call of God within us. Jesus was there because there were people who were there who needed him. We see this in Matthew chapter nine and verse 12. They were talking to Jesus, they were complaining to Jesus about being around a bunch of sinners, and he says it like this. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Acts chapter 10 verse 38, Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So we see Jesus putting himself in places where they needed him. We see Jesus putting himself in places that stir up the gifting that was on him for them. And here's what I dare say. Every single one of us have callings as well that we will have inspired by the right places. Like when we go to some place that is exactly what we want to do, it will wake us up and just motivate us. But what about going to the place where the people have nothing of what it is that we are supposed to be giving? There's something that is inspirational about that as well. And there's something that is sort of grounding about that as well. In, um, we stated in Matthew chapter nine and verse 36, it said, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were hassled and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, he is the good physician. He's the great Shepherd. So he finds himself in these crowds where they have need of a physician. He puts himself in crowds where they have need of a shepherd. What happens sometimes in our lives is we gather to ourselves all that we need to gather to do the thing that we want to be doing, and we forget about all the other people that we need to be doing it for as well. And it just, it just, there should be something in us that is willing to inspire that in us. It is something that inspires our passions and something that inspires our compassions. I I don't, I don't know about you, but I do know about me. And sometimes I can, I can almost get lazy reaching and excited about doing something because there are people that I'm doing it with and for, and that's the exciting part. But then it's important too to sort of just turn around on occasion and see who's getting left out. Because it's not just for the ones who are there, whatever it is, it is also for those who are being left out so that we can bring them Forward, we can bring them along with us. I I read this story years ago about a pastor who um, he wanted to build a certain type of church. And so he, every single summer, he would go to what he called just a terrible church. And he went to the same one every single year. He said it was awful. The message was terrible. The music was terrible. The buildings were terrible. The parking was terrible. It was terrible. He said he went there every year to get around something that would inspire him to do more of what he was doing. There was something about having his compassion stirred up. There is something about being among the saints. There's something about being in the presence of God. But there's something else about being outside of the presence of God. And what I mean by that, in a place where they're not recognizing him and we see this is why we need the presence of God. There's something about going occasionally to the store at the mall that you just don't wanna be in because the crowds are too thick, but it just reminds you that there are a whole bunch of people going to hell. Like for real. Because we can get sort of so caught up in our little route from our house to our job and our cubicle and the three people around us, and we go back home to the five people that love us, and then we go back to church and we sit in the same section with the people around us that we like and they like us, and we just think everything is great. But if you just step aside out of all that's great and just step into their world for just a minute, you will see why you have such great necessity on the earth. There was something about Jesus being willing to step into that place where they weren't walking, to step into that place where they could not see, to step into that place where they were not the fullness of what God had for them. There was something about Him being there. And it's important for us to be willing to be there where people need Jesus because the answer is in us. We have the answer in us. And so there Jesus is, and he's in this place. And while he is in this place, he sees a whole bunch of people who absolutely are in desperate need of him. The other day, um, I was in the car, and I saw a, um, a person walking on the side of the road. There's a particular road that I will go on, and I don't want to insult anybody, so I'm not going to tell you the road. But you see a lot of hurting people on this road. You see a lot of people who are lost on this road. And there was a a young man walking and he had a hand difference. Um, His right arm was a lot smaller than his left arm. And he he didn't have a hand at all on that arm. And I just saw him with stuff, like stuffed between his arm and his body. And he was holding a bag on the other side and my eyes start to water up and my nose starts to tingle. Because you see people who are desperate for the goodness of God. You you see people who need not just a compassionate word, but like a word that brings them life. Because we don't have enough words for some people that are hurting beyond what we understand hurt to be. There are people, they actually have to have a word from God to be encouraged. Like, it, there, something from heaven has to be spoken through you. And there is this almost necessity to realize that you have nothing. You have nothing without God to help them. We, we can sometimes think we're so full and we have so much and we're so awesome. And then you get in the presence of somebody who really needs something and you find out you're pathetic. I, I don't... I don't know about you, sometimes I can get a little bit arrogant. Sometimes I can think, oh, I'm just smarter than the average person. Sometimes I can think I'm a little bit better than people. And then I find myself in the presence of somebody that I can't help at all, and I realize I don't have it, I'm not it, it's nothing but him. And there are those moments, I don't know if this is everybody, but there are those moments that some of us just need to step into somebody else's world to remind ourselves of why the power of God actually needs to be working in us. And so Jesus was in, was in that place. And um, he went up to the man and he asked him a question. And I absolutely love this question because it caused him to be framed meaning he caused the man to frame sort of his story in the middle of what was, what was going on. All of us, when we have questions from God, it sort of helps locate us. Because if we look at the question and we look at the response, we see a man answer what Jesus didn't ask. Jesus asked him a simple question. Do you want to be healed? What should the answer have been? Yes. yes. But that wasn't the answer that he gave. Jesus asked a question to help locate this man so that Jesus knew where he was and the man knew where he was. There was something about framing your scenario. Sometimes we think we have this great faith. Sometimes we think we're all ready for the next season. We think we're ready for the next step. And then a question comes along that allows us to see exactly where we are. And then we recognize, oh, there might be a little more work. God asks us questions along the way, so that we know where we are. We see God ask questions throughout the Bible, actually. We see God ask Solomon a question in uh, 1 Kings chapter three and verse five. Here we have a moment where Solomon had just been anointed king of Israel. And now it's time for bed. He goes to bed and it says that the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. And God said, ask what I shall give you. He gave Solomon a blank check. Solomon, the son of David, whose dad was, they sang songs about, and he says, what do you want? And I don't know what your answer would have been. Mine might've been a little bit different than what Solomon's was, but Solomon said, look, I don't don't know how to go in or come out. I've, I've been called to do this. I've been anointed to do this. I'm looking out here. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, so what I'm asking you, God, for is wisdom to actually do it. This is something that we honestly should push into every single young person, young adult person stepping into a career like this This is the conversation. It's not looking at the rewards. It's not looking at the W-2. It's not looking at what you hope to earn or hope to, to be seen by. Like What, what can you do well? Like you, you don't need fame, you don't need fortune. What you need is wisdom. We've got an entire generation of people who they all wanna be content creators and go be on YouTube. Why? Because there's something attractive about fame and fortune. There's something less attractive about work. There's something less attractive about doing something that is changing people, like that adds value in the moment. Are there people called to do this? Yes. Are there people who have great content that need to create it? Yes, but it's not all of us. It's not in fact, it's probably the few of us or few of them. But we get into these moments where, oh no, I want the fame and I want the fortune. What about the wisdom? What about the wisdom? Solomon said, I want wisdom. And God said, great. It's almost like it was a test. Great. You asked for wisdom. Now what you'll receive is wisdom that has never been known and fame and fortune beyond any king that's ever been before you or will ever be after you but he wasn't seeking the fame and the fortune. God's question allowed Solomon to be located. God's question allowed him to say, okay, no, this is actually what I'm needing. This is what I want. And if we don't understand this, we will find ourselves chasing after pots of gold at the end of rainbows. And and we'll never add the value that we are supposed to add. Will there be blessing on the other side? Yes but I'm not seeking the blessing. This is where we've messed up sometimes even in our conversation about giving to God. We turned it into, well, what do I need? Let me reverse engineer that. Now let me give God this, because really what I want is that. I'm not really that interested in the kingdom. I'm looking at the kingdom as some kind of an investment fund. I'm gonna put my money there because what I really want is the return. What if you just wanna give to the kingdom? What if you just say, you know what, God? I want your kingdom to advance. You know what, God? I'm willing to sacrifice something so that I see your kingdom take over the world. What if that was our posture? Let me just say, when that's our posture, guaranteed the blessing follows. We have an entire generation of people who have given up on Jesus and they've given up on the idea of giving because they were lied to to think about themselves first instead of the kingdom. Seek ye first the what? The kingdom. kingdom. Not, what do I need? What do I need to be, what do I need to happen? Well, let me do this so I can get what I want. No, no, what does the kingdom need? What does the kingdom need? Solomon, what do you, ask me anything. What do you want? I want wisdom. When we grasp these concepts, we find ourselves fulfilling that which God has called us to fulfill. And we see the rewards. We see them absolutely 100%. Um, We see this other moment, another question. Mark chapter 10 in verse 51, Jesus walked past a man who was blind. And he said to the man, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. Now that's like a blind man could see that, that blows my mind. We just read this like it's normal. Have you ever seen a blind man see? Like somebody who cannot see. And somebody prays for them, and now they can see. This moment happens, but for, for me, like that's up here, but for me, this is what really gets me. Jesus said, go your way. But what did the man do? said, immediately his sight was recovered and he followed Jesus and went the way. Jesus said, go your way. You've got everything you asked me for. But what did the man do? He followed Jesus and went his way. When we see, it's not so that we can see all the things that we hadn't seen. When we see, it's so we can see him. When we see, it's so we can see the way to follow him. Jesus gave him his sight so that he could see the way. He also gave him the option, go your way, do your thing. He said, no, 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 no. Now that I can see, I'm going to stay on the way and I'm going to follow you. God's questions... They help locate us. They help us sort of frame the scenario. Um, years and years and years ago, I'm uh, probably 19, 18, somewhere in there. And um, there was a, a prayer meeting at the church, and um, it was, I think, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning. Pastor Reggie was leading the prayer meeting, and then he has everybody just kind of go and pray. And I'm going to be honest, I wasn't a very good Pentecostal. So what I mean by that is it was really loud and a little bit scary. So what I would do is I'd go find a corner, and this is exactly how I would pray. I'd try and play it off like this, but I'm actually covering my ears because the noise was very distracting and I couldn't, like, pray. I know, like, this is not how Pentecostals are supposed to do it. I said I was a bad Pentecostal. So I'm just like praying. Now, here I am. I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know anything. I'm just having a good time. But, you know, you're coming up to the end of high school or maybe I was at the beginning of college. I'm just in there confused and lost. Have you ever been confused and lost? Okay, a few of us. And I just began to pray for wisdom, like I really needed wisdom. And in the middle of that prayer, Pastor Jeff Connor from Winter Haven came by and he puts his hands on my shoulders and he just starts praying that I would have the wisdom of Solomon. Now, by no means do I think I have the wisdom of Solomon. What I'm saying is I'm praying for wisdom and he comes and prays for me to receive the very thing that I'm asking God for. It was as if God said, what do you want? And then he came through his servant and said, here, you can have the thing that you want. And it was from that point that life just began to sort of unfold, that I began to see more clearly what that was that God wanted from me. And I didn't choose it all in that moment, but eventually I got there. Eventually, I got there. God locates us by the questions he tells us to ask. I told this story a couple years ago, so it's been long enough I can tell it again. Um, When I turned 44, 44 means nothing. It's just a 4 and a 4. You don't get to, it's not 21, it's not 18, it's not like, there's nothing fun about 44. It's just, you know, middle-aged. Forty-four. Okay, so I hit 44, and um, I'm just up praying. It's something I like to do on my birthday, usually at, like, midnight, because I like to be praying when I turn that age. I know I wasn't born at midnight, but it just makes me feel good to do it at midnight. So midnight, December the 12th, I turn 44. And I'm just praying, like, Jesus, here I am, still available, use me. Thank you, Jesus. And then I hear the Spirit of the Lord inside of me say, ask me for a double portion. Now that's not what I was asking him for. That's not what I was even thinking about. Actually, truth be told, if there was gonna be any conversation about a double portion, I would have been thinking more about double portion of people in the church, double portion of money in the bank. Like, I don't know about your double, but that was my double. But that's not why he had me in that moment. He asked me to ask him for a double portion of the anointing. And I went over to my couch and I fell on my knees and I asked him for a double portion of the anointing. And in the months and years that have followed, there has been clarity that has awakened from that ask of God. God is moving God is speaking, God is doing. And here's the thing, here's the thing. When God asks you a question, there's an answer he's looking for. I don't think I'm special. I believe that if you believe that God will speak to you and you give him room to speak to you, God will speak to you. And God will ask you questions that will help frame you and help put you in a place where you can actually follow Him. See, sometimes we actually need a different frame than we have. I hear some people you know, talk about the glass is always half empty and they're complaining and somebody else, they need to see it half full. Maybe they don't need to see it half full. If I'm a server at a restaurant and somebody has half a glass of water and I've got a pitcher of water in my hand, what is that glass of water? Half full. No, half empty. Right? Why is it half empty? Because I have the answer. So if I have the answer, then what I'm walking around looking for are a bunch of glasses that are half empty. And if somebody's sitting there with a burrito full of jalapenos, they're going to be excited that I just took their half empty glass and I filled it up, right? So it's not wrong to see something half empty, especially if God has called me to serve something. If I'm supposed to be serving, then I better see a bunch of half empty glasses. But what if I'm doing something different, now I'm bringing uh, rolls to people, and I've got rolls in one hand, and I have a pitcher of water in the other hand, and there's a half full glass and an empty basket, half full glass and an empty basket. Do I fill the water up first or do I do the empty baskets first? Well, I do the baskets first. But to do the baskets, I have to see the glass not as half empty, but as half full. It's not needing water yet. What they need are biscuits. It's just framing. And what I'm telling you is, what is it that God is wanting you to do? That's the thing you need to be looking for. And that will determine whether it's a half full glass that's distracting you from the empty basket or it's a half Empty glass that needs to be filled up. God's questions will locate you. And they are necessary so that you can do the thing that he's wanting you to do right now. Those of you who are parents, you walk through the house and there are one kid's doing great and one kid is a train wreck. Who do you take time with? The train wreck. Why? Because it's half empty. You need to take time and figure that out. But sometimes we wanna take the easy route. Well, I'll just spend time with the one that's easier today. No, 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 no. You give them a kiss on the cheek and say, you're awesome. Go forth. And you go sit down and cry with the kid in the bedroom that's having troubles. It's just, we have to frame ourselves to what God wants us to do in the moment. Then there are also times when you've been neglecting your spouse and you've been having all the fun with the kids that it's time to just say, hey, you guys play amongst yourselves for a minute. Me and mom are going to go hang out, or me and dad are going to go hang out, whatever side of that you're on, right? Like, we have to be willing to see what God is trying to show us in the situation we're in the middle of. And so this is what Jesus does. He looks at me, he says, do you want to be healed? And what did the man say? Oh, there's nobody to put me in the water. That's not what he asked him. Yes or no. Oh, no, I'm not thinking about yes or no. I'm thinking about there's what I don't have. This is not, by the way, a problem with the lame man. This is a problem with all of us. All of us. We're always looking at what we don't have. We're always looking at what we can't do. God speaks. He tells us something from his word or he speaks by his spirit. We're like, yeah, but I I can't do that. Why can't you do that? Well, there's nobody to take me to the water. Jesus didn't say, do you want to be put in the water? He said, do you want to be healed? This man had it all figured out that the only way that he was going to be healed is if he got put in the water. But Jesus had a different plan. And sometimes we work out our own plans because we haven't taken time to be with him to discern his plans. And God's saying, I want you to go about this a different way. And we're saying, yeah, but I need you to do it this way. And he said, that's not the way I'm going to do it. Do you want to be healed or not? I'm not asking you, do you want to be dropped in the water? I'm asking you, do you want to be healed? And we see this all the time. All the time. Go all the way back to Genesis. God said he was going to give Abraham and Sarah, he's going to give them a child. A child. Now that's, that's a fascinating idea to a man who's 99 and a woman who's 90. So the Lord says, this is what I'm gonna do. And then Sarah's on the other side of the tent wall in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 12, and she laughs to herself saying, after I am worn out, her words, not mine, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, Shall I have pleasure? But God said he would be there in about a year and they would have a child. God said that. But what did she say? After? Like, God, if you were going to do that, you should have done that a long time ago. Have you ever felt that way? God, if you wanted me to do that, you should have asked me to do that a long time ago. Man, I don't don't have the energy for that. I I don't even want to. Well, not that. That's my Valentine's Day plug for the day, just in case anybody was waiting for it. There it is. You just, you just got it. Y'all are the worst sometimes. I want y'all to know, y'all pull stuff out of people. It's not nice. I blame it on you. No, God makes makes us a promise, tells us we're gonna do something and we wanna argue with him. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? It wasn't just Abraham and Sarah. We see this in the life of Moses. Exodus chapter four and verse 10. God told Moses to take a message to Pharaoh. And this is what Moses says. Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, I am slow of speech. So he's gonna tell him what he's not, and then he's gonna tell him what he is, and both of those disqualify him in his mind from going and taking a message to Pharaoh. But it wasn't about eloquence. And it wasn't about how fast he was about to say it. It was about one thing. I am tells you to let his people go. And you can say that fast or you can say that slow. You can stutter through it or you can say it clearly. The only thing that matters is I am said to you to let his people go. I, 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 I am said, 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 said let, let, I don't care how you say it. The point is the message. I <laughs> am said to you, let it the reward, the power is on the obedience. It's not on the way that you perfectly perform. It's on, are you obeying God? Are you doing the thing that he's called you to do? Sometimes we look at our lives and we think we're missing out on something because we didn't do this perfectly or we didn't do that perfectly. Maybe it wasn't time yet. And now that it's time, we have a few things behind us where we failed and we think I can't do it. He says, no, 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 you couldn't do it then because I didn't tell you to do it yet, but I'm telling you to do it now. So now is the time to step out, open your mouth and speak the words of God same thing same thing happened with Gideon God wants Gideon to save Israel they're going down a wrong path they have enemies that are coming against them and um, God tells Gideon I want you to save the nation in Judges chapter 6 and verse 15 Gideon says how can I save Israel My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least of my father's house. Now that's a sad state to be in. We could go through the whole 12 tribes of Israel, but I'll save you that. Judah is the ruling class, not Manasseh. The rulers are supposed to come through Judah. Judah is the line, the family of kings. He says, I'm from Manasseh. Manasseh already isn't Judah. And my family, they're like the weakest in Manasseh. And the weakest family in Manasseh that's not called to be leaders, I'm the least of my father's house. That's a bad place. No money, wrong state, wrong side of the tracks, like wrong everything. And you know what the thing is? God never argued with him. All God said was, but, so that just means everything you just said is true. Manasseh is not the ruling class. Your family is the weakest in Manasseh, and you're the most pathetic of your father's house. That's what God said. He just affirmed everything he said. But, uh, one word but, that's what that means. But, I am with you. Could we throw a cliche out there? God, all by himself, is a majority. God. What did God say to Gideon? He said, I will be with you. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what you don't have. It doesn't matter what you can't do. I will be with you. It didn't matter that there wasn't anybody to drag him into the water and drop him in. That wasn't what Jesus asked him. What Jesus asked him was, do you want to be healed? When Jesus asks you something, could you give him the answer he's looking for? Just give him the answer he's looking for. He's not looking for excuses. He's not looking for, well, you already tried it and it's probably not going to work. He's not looking for all the reasons why you can't do this. He's looking for your yes, that's all, your yes. Yes, Lord, I want to be healed. But here's what I love about the mercy of God. He says, there's nobody here, nobody's there to put me in. And Jesus just like ignores him, like totally ignores him and says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Like he stacked these commands. Just do the thing you can do, and you'll be able to do the thing you can't do, but first of all, just obey me, do what I'm asking you to do, and everything will work out just fine. And it said the man got up, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Why? Because he just obeyed God. All he did was say yes to Jesus, all he did was obey God. And when he decided to obey God, there he is in the temple. (laughs) He's still carrying his bed. It's like my favorite part of the whole story. He doesn't, like I don't have gone, me, I'd have gone home, I'd have put it up. But he's just walking around with his bed. Middle of the day, on the Sabbath, carrying his bed around. Why, it's the Sabbath, why are you carrying your bed? I don't know. All I know is the guy that told me to be healed is the same guy that told, told me carry my mat that, and just walk. And so that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm carrying my mat and I'm walking. I'm just being obedient to God. They said, it's the Sabbath. You can't carry your bed. I don't know. What I know is Jesus told me to carry my mat. Well, you're, you can't do that. You, you didn't major in that. I don't know. All I know is I'm just carrying my mat and walking because Jesus told me to do that. What do you mean you're going to ask her out? You're not a good looking enough. To, I don't know. All I know is she said yes, and I'm just walking around on Valentine's Day. That's all I know. I didn't think you could have kids. I don't know. All I know is God gave me a whole bunch of them and I'm just leading these kids the way God's calling me to. Like, what what has the world told you you couldn't do and what did God tell you you could do? That's the question and are you doing it? And this isn't just, sometimes we make these sermons out of one little moment, but this is like universal. This happens all the time in the gospel. And then he says, go and sin no more. And I love that part right there. See, we, we see this command for us to do what God tells us to do and just keep on doing it and to put the distractions away. And we might see it the most through the life of Peter. And in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 12, um, it says, Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two brothers, one Simon, who was called Peter, and another Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Jesus asked them to do something that they could do. Follow me, follow me. And so that's exactly what they did. And for the next three years, Peter just followed Jesus. He just, he left his nets and he followed Jesus. And then it comes to this moment where Jesus is crucified, he's raised from the dead, he visits his disciples, and he keeps kind of like showing up. He's there, but he's not there. They don't really know what's going on. He followed Jesus until things got weird, until things got confusing. until he was talking himself out of what he was supposed to be doing. And in John chapter 21 and verse two, we see this moment where it said, Peter looked at the disciples and he said, I am going fishing. Now I'm not talking about you who fish as a hobby. We're not knocking hobbies for a minute. I'm not talking about you who enjoy doing some things and you know, whatever, You, you, you need to fish. You need to run, you need a hobby. Everybody needs a hobby. Everybody needs a hobby. That just might be the Lord for somebody. Everybody needs a hobby. Not talking about that. This isn't Peter's hobby. Peter left his career to follow Jesus. Now he says, I'm going fishing. Jesus isn't around. There's nobody to follow. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. This didn't work out the way that it was supposed to work out. I don't see thrones. I don't see kingdom. I don't know what's going on. I'm going fishing. And then Jesus sees him fishing. He says, hey, cast your net on the other side. He does. He catches so many fish, the net's breaking. He comes in, he says, This is Jesus, and he empties his 153 fish in front of Jesus and says, Look, look, 153 fish. Can you believe this? Look how successful I was. 153 big fish. And in verse 15, it said, When they finished breakfast, Jesus took Peter aside and he said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, Yes, Lord. I do, and Jesus said, feed my lambs. And then Jesus asked him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. And then he said this, tend my sheep. And then Jesus asked him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And being grieved, Because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? Peter said, Jesus, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he went on to tell Peter, he said, you know, um, you're going to go places that you don't want to go. And you're going to be asked to do things that you don't want to do. And you're going to die in a way that you don't want to die. But just do this, follow me. And in that moment, it was no longer about fishing. It was no longer about confusion. It was no longer about God not doing the thing that he thought God was supposed to do. There's one command. He told him on the Sea of Galilee three years before. He said, Peter, follow me. And then Peter said, I'm going fishing. And then he comes back to the end in the same place. And he says, Peter, follow me. We have been called to follow him. How was Peter going to follow Jesus? Fishing? No, being a fisher of men. He gave him the command, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. Quick, quick sidebar. Let me just get this out. Why did he say, feed my lambs? Because there were the children of God that Jesus always showed a heart for, always. He said, forbid not the little children and let them come. He said, unless you have faith like this child, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. He always had that soft spot in his heart. So before Jesus was going to ascend, he wanted to make sure that somebody, because he hadn't seen it in the lives of the disciples yet, they were always trying to run the kids off. He said, Peter, let me just tell you something. You say you love me. If you love me, feed my lambs. There's the difference in a lamb and a sheep. He says, you feed them. There's a reason we spend millions of dollars in this house on facilities and people and curriculum and camp and everything else. It's because we have a mandate. Feed his lambs. We're gonna feed them until they can't eat anything else. We're gonna feed them better than anybody can feed them. We're gonna preach preach the word and preach the word and preach the word and preach the word. I've got my JBQ shirt on today. Everybody's been sitting out there like, what is he wearing? Here, here it's a little bit of a protest to the Super Bowl. I'm going to be honest. My team's not in it. Everybody likes to show up on Super Bowl Sunday wearing their stupid team's jersey. I don't care about your stupid team. Your team is stupid. 27 years my team hasn't made it in. So, I'm going to protest a team I can can be frustrated about, and I'm going to celebrate a team I can be proud of, JBQ. That's that's the little lambs at Family Worship Center. They are an elite force of young Bible scholars. They can answer more questions about the Bible than you've probably ever read. They got me a shirt the other day. See? See? That's so cool. I I thought I should be double zero though, but they gave me number one, that was all them. I just want you to know that's not me being arrogant, it's them. But no, we have a call, man, a calling to feed his lambs. But here's what I find interesting in this contrast. Yes, feed my lambs, but then he said about the sheep, he said, tend my sheep and feed my sheep. Now, what does that mean? Tending is shepherding, it's pastoring, that's the word for it. Um, why didn't he say that to the kids? Why didn't he say, hey Peter, tend my lambs? Oh, cause that's their parents' job. So that becomes the call of the parent to connect with the local church. They pastor these kids until they're at a certain age And then they hand them off, if you will, as adults to the local church. But when these kids don't understand what pastoring means, they don't understand what it means to be led into the house of the Lord, when they don't understand what it means to be led to the feet of somebody who's going to feed them the word of God, like when we don't bring them in, they don't get it. When they grow old, they don't get it either. So he's telling the parent, the parent is the one called to shepherd, to tend to them. Church, you feed them, but it's up to the parents to get them in the door. It's up to the parent to lead the way. It's up to the parent to demonstrate what holiness looks like in the home. It's not my job to say whether these kids can date this guy or not date this guy. That's mom and dad's job. It's not my job to say you can wear this, you can wear that. That's mom and dad's job. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not tending, I'm just feeding. I'm just making sure we're feeding. But then when it comes to The moment where they leave father and mother and they're joined, what does that mean? That means they left their home, they're now adults accountable. Now how are they accountable? Now they become accountable as adults within the local church. Now they find themselves literally with a sense of governance, a sense of community, a sense of I'm accountable in this house. I was accountable at home and now I'm accountable in the house of God. Like it matters. And there are people who have been called to, commanded to tend my sheep and those who've been commanded to feed my sheep. So it's both, I just wanna make sure if we can dig a little bit in that, that we understand what that means. Because it wasn't just Jesus giving Peter an opportunity to say that he loved Jesus three times because he denied Jesus three times. I think that existed. I think that's a truth. But I think the bigger truth is he's telling him, you follow me, and here's how you follow me. You feed my lambs, you tend my sheep, you feed my sheep. If you're not feeding my lambs, if you're not tending my sheep, if you're not feeding my sheep, you're not following me. What did Jesus tell you to do? What has he called you to do? If you're not doing it, you're not following him. It's not just about living right and watching the right things. It's about you doing the thing that he's called you to do. It's about you actually following him. What has God told you? This is what I want from you then follow him, follow him. And I think we have to make it hard not to. I I wanna make it hard to not follow Jesus. I I, I wanna make it like complicated to not follow him. We see this in the life of Elijah, and I'm gonna close with this. God gave Elijah a few commands. And in um, 1 Kings chapter 19, In verse 19, he's going to look for his successor. It said, Elijah departed and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing. And he had 12 yoke of oxen in front of him and he was with the 12th. It said, Elijah walked by him and cast his cloak onto Elisha. And then Elisha, Sacrificed the yoke of oxen. He boiled the flesh on the yoke. He arose after feeding the people and they ate, and he went after Elijah and assisted him. Now, that blows my mind that a man is behind a team of oxen. and 12 oxen, it had to be a big field. And then the man of God throws his cloak on him, which is a symbol that you're being anointed to take my place, and he says yes to Jesus. And to make sure that he didn't have any distractions, he literally took his livelihood and burned it to the ground. Like he burned the plows. There's no going back. What was he gonna go back to? He had no oxen, he had no plows. He had a party for the people, said, see ya. I'm leaving. And then he went and he assisted Elijah. When God calls us to follow him, there is the requirement, the requirement to just make it impossible to not obey him. Like you just keep carrying the mat. I I don't know how long, as long as he wants you to. You just keep carrying them out. You just keep doing the thing he's called you to do. You you get away from the people who are telling you you can't do that. You get away from the situations that are breaking down your faith. You keep putting yourself in places where your faith is strengthened. When you are called to do something, put yourself in a place where your faith is awakened so that you can say yes and keep saying yes. Because all of us have a call, every single one of us have a call to follow him. It's different, it's different for all of us. Some are teachers, some are coaches, some sell stuff. But everybody's called to serve in the local church with a calling, I'm not talking about a profession, I'm talking about a calling. Like what is it, what are you you supposed to be doing? Here's what I know. All of us are called to be in this room and gather and have our faith built and worship him. But what else? Like this isn't it. What else is God calling you to do? And are you willing to do that? Will you just keep following Jesus? You followed him this far. Where else is he gonna take you? What else is he gonna do? You just keep saying yes. You just keep following him. Keep carrying your mat. And God will lead you to a place called you